extending one place, I'll try it. it, it so, uh, you know, uh, what's uh, interesting when, when Stuart and Linky shared that, um, that part of that experience that they have, he sent me a voice note um, during the week and just said, oh, they, they had this experience of, and as you guys have heard, where <coughs> they saw angels, now whether you believe in angels or you believe we can see it or not, I think there's enough from a theologically correct standpoint point of view, that at least the, the application of John 4, that the Father is seeking those that will worship him in spirit and truth. So I'm thinking, as he sent it to me, I'm thinking, the angels didn't stop at my house. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm an elder, Linky is not. I'm preaching, she's not. My theology can run circles around Linky a hundred times. My spiritual resume is just so much higher than Linky's. But the Father is not seeking that. The Father is not seeking that. And it was, I was convicted that morning, you know, I, there was a jealousy in me, I'll be honest, there was a jealousy. Why did the angel stop at her house and not my house? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, yeah. The, even the greater question for me, or the greater worry was, if they stopped there, what would they have found? <laughs> I, I don't know if they would have found. I mean, of course, I worship here, you know. Of course, uh, uh, there's, there's the settings where I find myself, but if... The thief could come in the night and find me unexpectedly at any time. Boom, barge into Linky's household. Stuart wasn't there, right? <coughs> the angels know when to visit. <laughs> but if he comes seeking like unexpectedly, like a thief comes into the night, boom, right now. Not now. Oh, no, now he's already. I mean, it's just dripping of worship. But he comes at any time, and he just looked at my heart. It's not like whether I'm singing a song at that moment. Of course, that's not the point, right? The point is whether he finds hearts that's after him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was convicted, and it was something of the seriousness of, what if the Father is actually sending out his angels to go seek? <laughs> he doesn't look at labels. He doesn't look at names. He doesn't look at the, the, the resume. And I'm not speaking of worldly resume. I'm speaking of the resume that we use in the church. <laughs> he doesn't look at all those things. He passed by titles. He passed by function. He passed by everything. <laughs> Your knowledge, whatever. I'm just like, I'm blind to that. I'm only focused on one thing, a heart that seeks me in spirit and truth. That hasn't learned the art to be in a Christian meeting and know what to say at the right time. Know how to express himself. But when no one is seeing, when it's just them before God, what do they see? Shucks, I was convicted, right? I was convicted. I, I just, I, I, want, I want to pray. <laughs> 
maybe for my sake, but for, for all of our sakes, right, that, that something like that would not go like, wow, Linky, you had an awesome time, but something of the fear of the Lord, of He is really visiting us sometimes like a thief in the night. When we are of God, when we're unexpected, when we don't have our worship hats on, <laughs> our church faces on, we just live. What will he find? And so, I don't know, Lord. Maybe some of the angels went to visit some of our other houses as well, but we were too busy. <laughs> Maybe we were too distracted. <laughs> our minds had other things occupied. Our, thing, you know, our hearts were occupied. And the angels had to pass us by because they didn't find anything there. <laughs> Father, I pray that somehow... You would quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, and, and somehow the things that are really important, somehow the things that I know you really seek, but we get so often confused and so often caught up and get fooled and present things that I know that's not really the thing that moves you. <laughs> Lord, may you come just once again, a heart that's pure, hearts not pure in a church face that knows how to bring it on a Sunday morning. <laughs> We're ready to worship. But lives that are switched on, geared to encounter God, live for God every moment of the day. Our Lord. Our Lord. Waken our hearts. Waken our hearts. Amen. got a little bit of a flu, so the huskiness is not perfect. <laughs> um, I, um, um, although in opposite, she likes the huskiness. <laughs> so, anyway, we <laughs> am I blushing or are you blushing? <laughs> Uh, all right. Okay. <laughs> so um, we were um, we, we're busy in the book of Philippians, and we, we said like something of a radicalness, a set-apartness, you know, as a people that the Philippians carry, and what Paul was carrying to them is something that God, I think, wants to do with us. And we were just going at the context, and for those of you that, that uh, haven't read it, I can't go for the context now, but Paul writes it out of prison. It's a difficult place and situation when he writes it. But one of the things that I, I want to um, show is, um, or one of the themes that goes through the book is the word joy or um, a, a word that has the root of joy in it, meaning rejoice. We include rejoice in all those things that has joy as a root word. We find it 16 times in a four-chapter letter, 16 times. Uh, uh, can I, can I say, I don't know of any other book that, for instance, have the word love mentioned so many times. It's, it, it, it struck me also while I was in sabbatical just how high God regards joy as a Christian attribute. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, Paul says, when the guys are getting caught up of what we can and what we can't do, how far, you know, and, and all these things that we, that we sometimes get caught up, you know. I don't know if it's my medication or what, but my, my mouth is... Mm. 
Christ. Now, now I, I must drink another sip just to remember where I was now. <laughs> Joy, okay. <laughs> Not about eating and drinking. R- rules and, and, and these type of things. That, and, and that's a clear sign for me of where a person is in a Christian, in his Christian faith, when it is about eating and drinking. What can I, what can I not, right? It shifts when the kingdom of God becomes of an expression of righteousness, peace, and joy, right? But I, 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 you know, it's like Paul was a first century believer, and somehow in our time, joy is such a rare commodity that we have settled for, just keep me God. Just keep me God, right? Paul would never have had the pressures that we are facing today, right? And yet when Jesus is writing, you know, it's... it's um, in, in John 15, he says, Father, I give them my joy. <laughs> I pour my joy on them. The joy of heaven is in them so that they, their joy can be complete. It's, I mean, they, they're completely full. The, the, the cup is running over with joy. And I realize just how little we have settled for something less than that in our Christian walk. So, um, I, I turned... I turned 45 on Tuesday, right? Thank you. So, it's an interesting thing. It wasn't such a happy moment for me. Somehow, 45, I, I, I don't think I'm going to get 100. I think, I think I've settled that I'm going to get to 90. That's where I've... I've uh, when I got to Tuesday, I felt like I'm surely at the halfway mark now. <laughs> I'm like... It's going downhill from here, right? I'm, I'm there. And, 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 and I'm not a massively introspective type of person, right? But, but I, I just got, I, I've, I've kind of suddenly on my birthday, I just considered my life. And suddenly the value of it, the worth of it, the significance of it, all those, all those things. And I said by the evening, I said to Nock, I think I'm striking a midlife crisis here. I feel, I feel heavy and unhappy, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and how it is for me, so uh, sometimes, you know, you know, you would, today you will have conversations with people and someone will say something that at the moment you wouldn't realize it, but it will just be like a little arrow that, that hits you, affects your emotions. And during the day, you'll carry that emotion the whole day and you won't realize, why do I feel a little bit down? Or why do I feel a little bit happy? Or why do I feel like I'm feeling, right? And I, I get it often, you know, where, where I have that, I'm carrying an emotion the whole day, all day, and I don't know why. And sometimes what I will do is I will just stand still and try and trace that thought, that emotion, right? And so I, 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 I came and I traced that emotion. Why do I feel like I'm feeling, you know? And I, because emotion is not God, emotion is not truth, emotion is a feeling. I don't have to submit to it at all, right? It's not, it's not supreme, I need to go, where do you come from? And if I find where do you come from, I can go like, oh, okay, you're, you're a lie. You know, you know, die, all right? So uh, th- this emotion, and I, I realized this, you know, I, I realized that I was considering my life and, and, and my significance and all those type of things. And uh, somehow probably when I was in my early 20s, I thought like I will be much greater than I'm right now, right? And it's like 20 years down the line and I'm a little bit disappointed. Right? That's exactly what a midlife crisis is, by the way. So, I mean, that's what guys come to that realize. They're there and they're here. And I, and I laugh because, I mean, that is so contrary to the truth in the way that I live my life. And I'm like, oh, come on, that's silly. 
I don't have to take you. The truth is, I'm, you know, who I am in the Lord and all those type of things I could draw on and that emotion would not be part of me. I don't have to take it. Funny thing is the next day I noticed the opposite. I feel so happy. You know, I just like, and, and, and again I go like, why do I feel like this now? And I trace it back again. You know, again I had to laugh at myself a little bit because it was like simply things like, uh, I had a couple of good meetings that I felt like I hit the mark. I felt like I did some good things during the day, right? And somehow, just the fact that I felt like I strike some things well makes me feel better about myself. Now, again, you know, I'm, 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 I'm just saying the substance of that joy is very flimsy. And again, I had to go to that thing and say, no, right? I'm not going to allow you to dictate. I'm not going to build my happiness on you. I know I feel much better right now. But that's not sustainable. That's not the truth, right? Because just the next meeting will not go so well and I will lose you again. I'm not going to build on you, right? And I have that power. I have that power, and so do you, over my emotions. So there's an interesting, uh, um, there's an interesting uh, statement that Christians used to say. And I was... When I was uh, just getting saved, and people used to say, it's very much Christianese, and people say, something has stolen their joy, right? So that brother, things were so good until that brother said that, and he stole my joy. The worship was so good until the drummer did this, it truly stole my joy, right? I'm not referring to today, I'm just saying, in, in, I'm just saying in... in, in we use that statement, oh, something stole my joy, or at least the circles that I've been moving around with, right? But that is an absolute Christian oxymoron. It's impossible. The joy that the Lord has given to us is completely free from circumstantial whatever. And it is amazing. If I had the ability to steal your joy, it makes me so powerful, even more powerful than the Lord. I can offend you so easily and steal your joy, right? But somehow, the joy that the Lord has going to give us is free from circumstances, is free from situations. It's unstolable. It's kept in God for us. And if Paul writes this to us, he's not just enjoying the free first century life, right? He writes it to us in the most severe the hardest situation that you can think or imagine. He's in prison. He's in prison. I don't want to say that. He's in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's a 60-year-old, 65-year-old man, respectable man. And prisons is not 21st century American prisons, right? It's, it's, it's a horrible situation. What's worse for Paul, sorry, this is stealing my joy now. <laughs> What's worse for Paul is he's in prison for preaching the gospel. And some in the ministry and in the church arena, everybody is in some ways mauling for their influence. And Paul was a top, top dog, sure, apostle. 
And if you were around with Paul, you would have always been a little bit inferior to Paul. But some of the other ministers around saw this opportunity of Paul going to prison to further their ministry. I've always told you about Paul, but you guys didn't want to listen to me. Did you see? And so Paul then says, he says, my change, some have exploited my change for the furtherance of their things. I'm going off my topic, but I feel to say this a little bit more. In, in Stellenbosch, there are many churches. <laughs> some churches, and, and I'm not on that train that I go like, if you're a church and you proclaim to be a Christian, then you're all well. There are definitely church groups that if they would affect us, I will warn people about them. I will warn, I will, I will really. If I feel that their effect and what they're doing are actually influencing us, I will warn people about them and say, don't listen to them. What they're doing is wrong. I will do it. But I want to say that there are many, many true born-again believers in this town <laughs> that's not part of our fold. And there are many true born-again believers that just like us try to follow God and try to seek his kingdom. I know we think our motives are the most purest of all of them, all right? But that's what they think about us as well, all right? About themselves as well, all right? We're all in this. Now, if churches are going through a difficult time, and if certain things happen to the certain churches, if we're going to use, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this phrase, if we're going to use their, their, their change and their suffering for our furtherance, I told you so, to exploit for the furtherance of our ministry, we're not representing the heart of God. And I'm going to ask us, in the way that we carry ourselves, not that we tolerate everything. Uh, we're not on that train. You guys know that, right? But that we, we would, in others' change, be those that love and cover and not to try and exploit it to the furtherance of our ministry. Amen? You guys are, you guys are with me on that. All right. So, Paul is in a difficult situation. And in that, he still declares joy. Now, Paul, oh, man. I, I'm drinking the pills that Doreen gave me. So, I don't know, Doreen. Oh, she's away now. That's the problem. <coughs> so, um, so Paul, Paul had a certain lesson to learn in his life. Right? He, he had certain progressions of joy, I would say. Paul, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, we had the thorn in the flesh. And in the way, Paul, the story is this, for those of you that know, know it. Paul has something uncomfortable in his life. He doesn't tell us what, but it's not nice. It's uncomfortable. But what Paul does is he goes to God and he says, God, please remove it. And he does it for the first time, and he's very surprised that God doesn't answer his prayer. Why? Because he's used to God answering his prayer. You've got a thorn, you go to God, you ask him, and he removes it. He makes your life better. That's what he does. He's a good, good father. Second time he prays, he doesn't do it again. Repents, makes sure everything is fine. Third time, still God doesn't answer him. 
And for the first time, he goes like, okay, what's up, God? And God then comes and says to him, yes, I, I am the God of plucking out thorns. <laughs> but sometimes, even in the midst of thorns, I want to be your joy. I want to take you to a place where you are free from the joy that's being stolen to you by thorns. I want you to be a person that can be kept no matter what. I, I, uh, um, I listened uh, today and afterwards while we were getting ready, listening to worship music in the background. And it's a guy that starts singing prophetically in the background. And, and I, I mean, I, I know it's so common, that this type of uh, song, but he starts prophesying. He says, let's prophesy our breakthrough. Let's sing. Let's speak to our mountain. And, and, and of course, guys, I speak to my mountain regularly. <laughs> it doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's anyway. <laughs> and then, and then there is sometimes sometimes even in the way that we would uh, um we, we would do an altar call, you know, or, or an altar call type of Christianity. I could go today. Well, Paul is speaking about joy. Who of you here is not carrying joy? Boom, half of you guys put your hands up. Now, firstly, half of you don't experience joy at the moment. The other half might be. But it might just be because you had a lack of day yesterday. It might not be very deep. It's just like, you're right now. You, you come to the front and, and, and we, we pray for you and some of you go like, mm, it didn't work. Right? Some of you might go and actually God touches you. The Holy Spirit falls on you. You have holy laughter. You roll around. You laugh. It's, it's euphoria. Until you walk outside, bump your toe, and you're right back again. Right? And sometimes the, the, the fix in what we want to do it is an outward, quick, make me feel better type of Christianity. Just remove it. And again, that's this type of thing. We are so used to God removing the thorns. And he does that. And he wants to do it. And we will continue to ask him for it. But there surely is a deeper way that God wants to take us through. That a man like Paul, in the worst situation that a man could be, are flippant high as a kite on joy. <laughs> so I want to tell you the story. And this is a story that I, I know. If you've been five years at the same congregation, they've heard it before. But I think I will only do it once a year. <laughs> so if you're only here for a year, it might be the first time that you hear it. But it, it, it is something that's so significant, uh, something that's happened to us that has explained it and showed it so well. We, had a, we were uh, leading a calm, and in the calm there was a, a girl, a, a woman. She was extremely childlike in the way that she related with God. And uh, she would regularly find herself in some difficult situation. She would tell us at calm about it. And she will go, oh, don't worry, I've asked Jesus to make it better. And then I will think by myself, yeah, it doesn't just work like that. But every time, next calm, she comes back. Guys, you wouldn't believe it. Jesus made it better. It was just like the most craziest thing. And the childlikeness in which she would have just approached God. God, I struggle. Help me. And he does. But I knew a day will come 
that God's not going to remove the thorn. And she came to us, and she had a she she had a job at that time, and the boss the boss at the work was verbally abusing her like really really bad. Like he found her his joy to put her he found it his pleasure to sit her down and just degrade her and break her down. And she was looking for a new job, and she asked Jesus, and Jesus didn't give her a new job. In fact, every interview that she got, everything disclosed. It was pretty obvious there's no way out. And she asked us to pray with her. I mean, this time she's calling in, uh, you know, strengthen. And I'm like, we pray and we say to her, listen, I think this time God is not going to answer your prayer. I think this time God wants you to, to, to know what it's like to have joy in these circumstances, in this situation, regardless. He's not going to remove the thorn this time. He's going to just be your joy. He's going to be your life. He's going to sustain you in the situation. And it took, it took a massive head shock for her to understand that joy is not circumstantial in situations. And even in the midst of what would be a prison, confronted with thorns, your grace is sufficient. And so finally she took that place and she went back to that work with a heart full of faith, full of joy. Father, regardless of how this man will treat me, I will keep my joy, I will keep my peace, I will keep my hope. My life is not found in the way that this man is treating me. My life is found in you. And even in the midst of this, if the way that he treats me can be a testimony to you, let it be. Let your kingdom come. Boom. Powerful. So that Monday, she goes back to work. And uh, ready, newfound faith to, to find her joy in the Lord regardless. And the Monday morning, she goes into her office. And as usual, the man walks in. Her boss walks in. And you know when... when when a person is about to say something hard to you, you can see it in their face. It's about to. And she sits down and he, he gets the smirk. He's ready to just ridicule her and break her down. And as he's ready to go, suddenly, as he tries to speak, his tongue gets stuck in his palate. And he goes. And he, he got struck with dumbness. He couldn't speak. And for a couple of minutes, he's. And after a while, she said to him, politely, I think you've got a meeting over there. And he's like, okay. And he leaves. And he never again, he never again, he never again spoke against her. He never again broke her down. Right? But the point was, the shift that had to happen was in her heart. Jesus, you're enough regardless. That was the ultimate lesson that Jesus had to learn. Now, when it comes to joy, guys, you would, you would have known, or I, I hope you, you guys would know, that we would not say that we will have pretentious joy around here. So we, 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 we are all in turmoil in the inside, but we have learned to put up some cheesy smiles. The culture that we want to have here, and if I say this today, if I say this today, because I found a rare a rare thing that is so difficult for people to come in, in the open about. 
because of the message that I'm giving right now. The pastor said, we need to be joyous. Paul said, be joyful at all time, and I'm not. So what I'll do is, right? That's not the type of cheesy Christianity that we are. If God says, I'm seeking for worshipers that's in spirit and truth, it means it's not merely outward and faith. It is from the inward, and it's truthful, spirit and truth. Our joy is spirit and truth. And so one of the most powerful things which we break that is to show weakness. I struggle with joy. I am depressed. It's a powerful statement that can bring things into their life. Now, I'm just to practically say it, that's the culture that we have. We had, we had run with one of our elders, right? One of our elders, which I don't know still, but at the time it was the youngest elder in Josh Gate. I think. Uh, um, as far as I know, he's not married. And so as the youngest elder in Josh Jen, I won't steal your joy, Rihanna. <laughs> uh, the re- I don't know. There's a reason why I said it. it. It's more pressure. That's what I want to say. As an elder, you might feel that there's eyes on you. Here you've got the guy that's the youngest. And just to add on, he's not married, all right? I'm not trying to make it a, a, a thing. All right. And so, subtly, if you know Ron, the responsible person that he is, of course, he's carrying the same thing, that I need to be an example, and no one will despise my youth, but I will be an example in speech, word, and everything else, and so forth, so forth. And in fact, the church has set me apart to be an elder, to do that. It's a little bit of a responsibility that I've got. And so then... In the midst of this, he goes for certain things that emotionally it's just going really, really tough for him. How would you have handled that? Right? No, Iran. I, I tell you, let's just say nothing to nobody. You just be a little bit on the side for a little while. It's like, no way. You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. Iran comes honestly before the whole congregation and says, look, I struggle. I don't know if the word depression is used, but I mean, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling in this area. In fact, I've got peace alongside the elders, even though I'm on medication. And so the fact that he could be vulnerable about that sets free to ultimately overcome and come joyous, right? It's not the faking that's going to make him joyous, but the fact that he was real and safe. Now, saying that, You know now, the culture that we're carrying here is one of vulnerability and honesty, right? We're not a bunch of fakers here. We understand that fakeness, the angels doesn't stop with fakeness. Oh, the guy with the biggest smile and the angels move right past. Spurred in truth. He's he's looking for realness. He's looking for sincerity. That's where the angels are stopping, right? It's not like, that's not the deal. That's not what we present today. We want us to be real and honest here. We want to fight for our joy. We want to fight for our realness in this place. And therefore, we embrace one another in this love, and we remove all judgment around that as well. Saying that, keep in mind what I said. There were times that I would tell Ruan and people around him, of course, Ruan, don't accept that emotion right now. Don't accept that emotion right now. You fight the emotion. You fight the emotion. You can now easily, easily withdraw and become a victim to this thing. Go. And 
to the extent that we have an atmosphere that we are embracing and understanding those weaknesses to the same extent, there are times where we're going to say to one another, we're not going to be a victim of our emotions. We're not going to be a victim to our thoughts. Jesus has invested the power on us, in us, not on us. No, no, no. We sometimes do it on us, but it remains in us so that we can stand firm in the joy that God has given us. You know, keeping us, keep me, Lord, is such a neutral stance. The joy of the Lord is an offensive stance. We take, it's like the peace of God crushes Satan. We war of peace. Oh, the enemy wants to shake my heart. He wants me, I'm going to give him peace. Take this. I fight with peace. It's this contradiction in the Christian walk. I fight with peace. The God of peace will crush Satan. <laughs> right? It's offensive. It's offensive to the enemy not to worry and to care, but to hold on to the peace of God in the midst of difficulty. And in the same way with joy. It's offensive. It takes territory that in the midst of everything wants to steal my joy. I go like, in the midst of you, I will rejoice. It takes territory, right? And so, yes, there's vulnerability in our midst. But yes, there's also the things that we are not going to be lured into merely being victims. And we have the freedom amongst one another to challenge one another in those times. our portion today. <laughs> Philippians 1 verse 21. It's quite a statement, eh? quite loaded. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Um, what is Paul saying there? Paul, Paul says, I think in Colossians 1, he says, he says, uh, um, for, for Christ, when Christ my life appears, in that instance, Paul would say, Christ is my satisfaction. Christ is my life. Christ is my joy. In this instance, he means something different. He says, for me to live is Christ. What Paul is saying, my motivation in life is Christ. That's the reason why I wake up in the morning. That's the way why I make the, my decisions. That's the thing that motivates me. Right? That's the thing that kicks me on. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking by myself, obviously, and I think of everybody else here. I'm so blessed by being in Stellenbosch. I'm so blessed by the people that I'm uh, able to work with. It's people that actually wants to change the world, right? Whatever way, they want to feel that they were significant, right? And so it's so awesome when you can get them into the kingdom because then they want to change the world for Jesus. And it's that type of mindset. And also what you have here is you've got so many people that is career-driven. Yeah, I want to say something funny now. <laughs> um, and all of these things, the things that drives us can become, of careers can become the thing that I live for my career. No one will say it, of course. Just the angels won't stop by your house because uh, um, actually that's where you are at. And so for me, uh, as someone that's in ministry, right, I have, I have the same challenge as all of you. I'm also career-driven. Your means is your degree. My means is the gospel. I use the gospel 
or use my ministry in church to become significant. But the sincerity of it, the true motive of it, can be just as false as a guy that drives after the millions and use whatever business he's doing. I'm just using the gospel of the church to get to my end, right? And on the flip side, all of you that have careers, the architects, right, the professionals, the engineers, the financial advisors, can use their careers to be driven by this thing. Money, whatever it can be. Or even in the same motivation can be, Jesus, how can your kingdom come? Right? It's not something reserved for ministers. It's something that's for everybody. That drives me for me to live as Christ. And then Paul goes, flips and he says, and for me to die, by the way, it's gain. And so someone's view on death will probably shows to me their maturity in a large extent. Someone's expression of joy shows me the maturity, not expression, but how they live it and process that. And someone's processing of death is part of that view as well. Um, a little while ago, I, I was just considering us going to Russia. And um, I'm thinking, wow, there's actually such a powerful demonic force over Russia. It's not like a demon that's just going to come out. There's, there's some of them as well, I'm sure. But it's really a principality over this nation, over that region. And it's over communism, and it's, it's just one of those most powerful principalities on this earth. And I know that it hates the gospel. I know that I'm its enemy. And suddenly for a moment, there was just a little bit of fear again and, and coming against this thing. And then I was considering it, it was as if there was a God moment. And I'm thinking, this principality, this principality, that is so powerful, that has been able to deceive millions, what is the worst thing that it can do to you? What is the worst thing that that principality can do to you? Well, the worst thing that that thing can do to you is kill you. I mean, is that all? By the way, that's what all of you can do as well. I mean, it takes one. Bing. I mean, that's what you guys can do as well. I mean, it's not... It's not so special, you know, he can kill me. That's, 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 that's the best that he can do, he can kill me. And suddenly, you know, for me, it was, just the most, it was just the most comforting thing. I really thought, is that all? You can't take the presence of God away from me? You can't take the presence of God from me. You can't take away my peace. You can't take away my inheritance reserved for me in the eternities. You can't take away the life that is in me. You can't touch me. At best that you can do is you can kill me. And I, I, I think the further we come in our Christian walk, for Paul, death was not longer something that wasn't harmful. I don't care about you. Death has become his ally. Death is my friend. Death, I'm going to come to you soon. I really want to hang with you so that I can be with Jesus. You are my doorway to Jesus for eternity. I'm going to come to you, my friend. But unfortunately, I've got some work to do on the earth. I would have loved to be with you. And he doesn't say it in some depressed, suicidal way, please. Right? He says it as someone that is completely consumed with eternity. 
completely consumed with the fact that he can be with Jesus forever. And he knows that the only thing that can trigger that is death. Death, by the way, that's going to befall all of us. So, then Paul continues. And uh, this is Paul's midlife crisis. He's a little bit older, so I'm just, I'm, I'm with him here. Uh, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Continue, please. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Okay, this is, his, this is his midlife crisis here. He's hard-pressed between two thoughts. It's working him up. It's keeping him up at night. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. All right? <clears throat> but to remain in the flesh <coughs> is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy <coughs> in the faith. <coughs> Paul is heart-pressed with two thoughts. His heart's desire is to be with Jesus. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I will say this again. I've a couple of times considered death, and all of you have considered death. In fact, every person on the face of the earth considers death. It's something that all of us need to face. And all of us have a sort of a theology around death. Whether you're an atheist that believe you're going to become dust, at least in theory, or whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Muslim, every person on the face of the earth considers that death is there. There's a place where it stops. And I'm wondering what's going to happen with you. So it's not, a, it's not something that, that's separate from the Christian. That's something that all of us have. And death is something that, that all, it's, it's going to be with all of us. <coughs> and so as I thought about death, there's a couple of times that I thought like, yes, it will be pretty cool to be with Jesus, check the angels out, worship, throw down my crown, do, do all those type of stuff, you know. But for a moment there, it was like a little bit boring. I, I thought, Jesus, before you take me there, actually I've got a couple of things that I want to do on the earth. Love to get married. Uh, don't take me now, Lord. <laughs> See your kids grow up. I would love to have children. All right. No, I wasn't looking at scripture. <laughs> And see them grow up. Oh, I would love to fulfill my career. There's just so many dreams that I still have. And I think I've said it before, but I'll, I'll say this. And in my thought of saying that, I heard the Lord spoke to me clearly. He says, every thought, everything that does not want you to be 100% with me right now is an idol. marriage and children and careers needs to be at the altar. So Jesus, you are the desire that burns louder than everything. I want to be with you more than anything else. From that place, God can use you. And so it's from that place that Paul would say, even though that burned for eternity so much, I would much rather stay. Not because I want to. You know that I don't want to be with you guys. Actually, I want to be with Jesus, but I will stay. For the furtherance of your faith, for the furtherance of the kingdom, for the furtherance of what Christ's work is on the earth. That's it. 
He was a real set-apart man. The angels would have stopped at his house, I think so. <laughs> Verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's asking them now. Please don't let my stay be useless. I want to be with Jesus. I'm going to stay for your sake. But don't make it a waste for me, please. All right. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's interesting, Paul says the same thing in chapter 2. He says, I may I come to find the unity of the, the mind, the spirit, and the heart. And Paul would say that as the ultimate cap for him on the Christian faith maturity, if there's unity. I want to tell you guys how I thought of maturity when I was... Uh, I was young in the Lord. When I just got saved, I was also like a lap dog. That whatever, the, whatever has been said in the class and whatever has been preached was just like, <sighs> I remember in Bible school, you know, a guy could say boo and I would go, oh, Jesus. Right? And I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm still, when I'm teaching it's, it's students, I see them. <laughs> I can say boo, and they go like, oh, that's so beautiful, right? People, people say in, in first-year Bible school, first-year Bible school, people go like, wow. Second-year Bible school, people go like, I agree. Third-year Bible school, people go like, that's not true, <laughs> right? And that's exactly how I've, I've, uh, my journey has been, you know? I've seen the initial, like I say, lap dog, whatever the guy... You can say whatever. <laughs> and then I, I wake up and I go like, yes, sir, I, I'm just naive here. I need to be able to see what is wrong here. And so pretty soon I become very, very good at picking the bones. So when everybody goes like, oh, that was awesome, I was the one that could say, I know it was awesome. But if you notice that, it was used out of context. Right? I were able to pick the bones one by one. But I've found, I've learned, I think, not learned, I've not, I've not accomplished, but I've learned that spiritual maturity is not found in our ability to pick bones, but spiritual maturity is found in our ability to receive from one another. I look for spiritual maturity, not in your ability to pick bones. I find for spiritual maturity in your ability to receive. I, I, I'm picking on Minky today. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll see what he says about it. Right? But Linky, Linky does not have a, a degree in theology. Right? I can run circles around Linky's theology, like I said. But I, I, will, I will be a fool if I'm not receiving from that. I will be, I'll, well, flipping the angels will pass me by in any way. Maybe she is an angel, I don't know. <laughs> some of you have allowed angels in, some even married angels. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's interesting when, when Christians found their place 
uh, around people, how we will elevate stuff like the amount of revelation that we have. I see it so often, you know. Christians find their, who they are and they, they, they throw their Christian resume. And they just throw like how they can quote scripture. Now, isn't that impressive? John 3 verse 34. Revelation 1 verse 2. It almost intimidates me when people can do that. Or even when people can, can speak of revelations, of encounters that they have with God. And we so often elevate those things. <laughs> and Paul goes and he says in 1 Corinthians 13, all of those is nothing. Show me how you can love. Show me how you can walk with the simple. Show me how you can receive from the simple. That's the, that's the real art. If you want to join us, I think we've got some revelation. I think there's some demonstration of power. I think there is there's some, some radicalness that says, I will put my life as a burnt offering. But the mark that we want to have between one another is that me and this brother, I don't even know if he understands me right now. <laughs> me and this brother, <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> me and this guy, I'll explain to you later. We'll find the effort, even though there's so many challenges amongst us, even though there's so many things that I can go and so easily go like, it's just too much effort. He doesn't understand my background. He doesn't have, he's not so learned as me. He will just keep me back. Find a way to lower myself and go, what does this guy have to give me? How am I going to find the effort to receive from him? see that there's so often an exclusivity in Christianity, right? An exclusivity is sometimes, I'm just too mature even for the church. I've, I've, I've surpassed that type of Christianity. Oh, they still speak about that type of stuff. I'm just higher than that. You know what I'm hearing? Dong, 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 dong. And Paul says, you're a clanging cymbal. Even though you show off all your cards, all that you're hearing is dong, dong, dong. And so as a sign of maturity in this house, our ability to love and receive from one another will be elevated much more than our power, our revelation, our radicalness. Almost finished. And not frightened in anything, he speaks about them, by your opponents. This is clear sign to them of your destruction, but of your salvation, and that's from God. For it has been granted to you. You know those very mock ads, guys? It goes like, if you come now, and now only. And if you buy it, buy it, buy it, pay it now. We not only give you this pot, but give, give you six other little small pots for just 50 rand extra. Paul is a little bit of a very mock advertiser. If you come now to Jesus and right now, you will receive salvation. But not only salvation. Are you ready? You want to have this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his name's sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had 
now I hear that I still have. For you, it's been granted, guys. It's so awesome. Because since we've become Christians, it's just been so pleasurable. We have been, we've got newfound salvation. We've got no faith. But that's not all. Guys, you won't believe that's not all what we've been granted. We've also been granted, yes, to suffer for him. No ways, we're not worthy. Yes, you're worthy. No, no, we don't deserve this. I'm telling you, if you would come right now, if you would come right now, yeah. <laughs> and at least one willing soul, you know. If you come right. So in Acts 5, verse 40 and 41, the apostles, the apostles was in trouble again, and they got beaten up. And they said, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's the apostles' mindset. They were not thinking, how can I get away here as smooth as possible? What honor that does bring to Jesus. Look, you must understand here, they live for Christ. Everything in them is to how to bring honor to him. Who wants to worship Jesus if everything is fine? Surely you don't want to settle for that. No. You. And if you come right now, God might honor you. He might honor you with suffering so that you can use that to bring glory to him. Wow. Oh, God. You know, we can prophesy to our mountain. <laughs> I mean, and even the word breakthrough, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for breakthrough all the time, but I'm, I just don't see the word breakthrough so often. <laughs> In the Bible, as I see it in modern Christianity, it's a thing that we ask God every year, every day, breakthrough. That's, that's our approach. Take the thorns out. Remove the suffering. I mean, the first century Christian in the church of Philippians would say, what are you mad? How privileged are you? What are you doing? You've been granted Suffering. How worthy are you? What have you done? Why can't I get it? Come on. Come on, there's a new type of radicalness that God is calling us for. That is not there to see how much we can get away and how much we can draw out of a pleasurable life that God can give us. For us to live as Christ. And so, I'll, I'll throw it out now. throw it out to us now. I know I know some of us go through difficult times. I mean, it's all of us here. Something. There's something. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want us to settle for things that's from the devil and not from God. I'm not on that train e at either, really. I'm not thanking God for the devil, right? If the devil is in my way and stealing from the gospel, I'm not going to just rejoice about it. But I think there's so many other things that's in our lives. And instead of complaining about it, instead of like, how can I be joyous if that thing is still in my life? How can I fully serve you if that thing is still in my life? 
turn it as a means to bring glory and honor to God. All right? Let's do, and we shift the altar call today. All right? And I want you just to consider what is in your life that you would consider a thorn. What is in your life that you would consider suffering? And instead of just quick, remove it. How can I bring glory to God? Let's just close up. Father, we, we know that Sometimes you have granted us things to bring your name greatness and honor. And we have despised that thing. And we have tried many times just for you to remove it. But Father, we want to shift our hearts today. Because we don't live merely for our own comfort. And just for a mere nice life. And you're not just that vehicle that's going to make our life nice. And that's the only reason why we look at you. Father, our lives are shifting and we want to bring honor and glory to you in everything. And Father, I know that some of those thorns and some of those quote-unquote sufferings has been granted to us. Granted to us to bring glory to you. You've counted us worthy for that thing to be carried. This is so powerful. There's certain, there's certain thorns that God has given you because he's counted you worthy and he's given you the grace to carry it. So Jesus, right now I ask that you will find a heart's change here. Father, that life is not centered around ourselves but life is centered in bringing you glory. Father, we won't waste our thorns. We won't waste our sufferings. We won't find mere ways of escape, but we will live to glorify you. Father, ultimately, We've hopped on that now, but Lord, you've visited, you've visited people in our church. You've come to seek. You've come to seek those that truly are set apart for you. That's not after mere own comfort and mere own lives. You seek those that's come to ultimately bring honor to you. Jesus, oh Jesus, I pray that you will come and do that work in our hearts. Jesus, I pray that you will come and find that people that are true worshipers. Oh, play, Jesus. We don't want to play around. One life. One life. One life. We want to pour it out on you. We want to pour it out.